Welcome to On The Mic, published every Sunday night on iTunes. Thanks to our supporters on Patreon. To be a part of the team and get exclusive content, go to patreon.com forward slash on the mic, spelt M-I-K-E. And please subscribe on iTunes or Audio Boom. All right, let's do this. Tesla 2, check. On the mic with Mike Goldman. Icicles, popsicles at test 1-2. He's an Australian media enigma, taught me everything I know. A radio legend with some great stories from his fight with Cat Stevens to his fight with cancer. Never before told secrets about when he hosted Countdown and the first live colour TV show in Australia, getting in bed with all three American pop singers, the Pointer Sisters, his many children and more. Today... My dear old dad, Grant Goldman, on the mic. Here's one of his jingles from the 2SM Super Radio Network show that's been going for over 20 years. Sung by George Sitch. Wake up. Come on, wake up. Waking up with the Goldman every weekday morning in this great land. Waking up with the Goldman. Weekdays five to nine. Grant Goldman. Yes, it's the Mike and Grant Goldman Show. On the mic today, hello, Dad. You've mentioned your name five times before you introduced me. Oh, and what's a podcast, anyway? Are we sitting on top of a whale or something? God, this is, eh? is going to be Podcast, hard. what does that mean? Please explain. This is going to be such hard work. Yeah, okay, so basically I do an introduction for yeah, you, yeah. which I've prepared. I wrote it out. Would you like to hear it? No, you <clears> typed <throat> it out. You didn't write it. 50 years of broadcasting. Mm. He hosted the first live colour TV show in Australia. Well, see, you've skipped, you've skipped about 30 years. The first host of Countdown before Molly Meldrum. Voice, he was there, by the way. Voice of the Sydney 2000 mm. Olympic Games. Yep. Voice of the train stations in Sydney. The Manly Sea Eagles for 30 years. And father of one, two, three, four, five. I, I actually include, I just say various children. I don't know how many kids. We better mm. check. Not this. do I. So, so they keep ringing me up and say, listen, I think you're my father. So there's Mike, yeah. me, Jay, yeah. Lucas. Troy. You forgot about Troy. Melanie. I haven't finished. Mm. Troy, Alexandria, and are you ready to meet another one we found? Yes, he's on the line. Here's Stephen. Hello, Grant. How are you? Hi, Stephen. Um, what was your mother's name? Uh, Stephen. Oh, I listen to you on the radio. I'm pretty sure you're my father. <laughs> well, um, you know, it comes as no surprise, but what what was your mother's name? My mother's name was Stephanie. And where? She's now my father because she had a sex change. Oh, really? Uh, okay, I, now that's... I, well, I let her down so badly she changed her sex. Okay. Yeah, that'd be right. Uh, okay, he doesn't want to talk anymore on, okay. on the podcast. I'll, I'll uh, introduce you to him later. So you have yeah. had quite a fair few children, haven't you? Mm, yeah. Would you well, say that's your greatest achievement? Well, it is. I think that's the greatest achievement anybody could have, um, have children who, um, and then you sit there and watch them successful in life and in love and everything. So it's good. So I'm the favourite, aren't I? No, there's no favourites. Why? Because you're, you're all different. How can you have a favourite when you're all different? I've been around second longest. Second longest? Well, true. Yeah, but... There's no favourites, you know. I love every one of you. Well, but surely What's your name again? Surely there was one that's been the best behaved. Well, that's not you. Am I the worst behaved? Uh, it's a tie. So no one gets any special no. mentions? No, not at all. That's bullshit. Not at all. <laughs> okay, well, let's, um, let's because this is this is an on-the-mic podcast, right? Yeah. Basically, because I can't get a job on radio, so I do this podcast and it ends up Oh, so basically you've started your own radio station because they <laughs> exactly. don't want a bar of you. Exactly. And why do you think that is, by the way? Uh probably because I like to do my own thing. Mm. Uh, I don't know where that comes from. Well, the bean counters don't like that. If you do your own thing, that means that you're cutting them out. Hang on a minute. This is mm. my podcast. Stop asking okay, me questions right. and talking about me. We're here to talk about you. Okay. okay. How did I start my career? 
No, listen to you. That doesn't mean ask your own <laughs> questions. All right, question number one. <laughs> question number one. He's got got a numerically listed. Can you stop critiquing everything I say? <laughs> yeah. You know what? This this podcast is over. That's what. Let's do the first podcast walkout. I've had enough of no, you. I'm not allowed to ask any questions. Looks like I'm riding you into the ground I'm, again. I'm not allowed to be the center of <laughs> yeah. attention. I just have to. Ready. If not for you, let me do it for <laughs> <Okay>. me. <laughs> People are listening to this shit. Okay, go on. You just swore. Yeah. What if Bill Corrales, who owns the 2SM Super Radio Network, hears you, someone from his flagship station, swearing on a radio program? There you go. I know. He'd be concerned. I Mind you, mind you um, shit was one of my first words, Nelly, on radio. Tell us about your first words on radio. The last announcer we had to sack, and we got no one to replace him, uh, you're going on the air at four o'clock, and it was one minute to four. So I whacked on, uh, I want to hold your hand, at the wrong speed. And in my panic, I opened the microphone and said, shit, my first words on radio. <laughs> and I've been that way ever since. <laughs> For 51, 52 years. How same, about that? Same thing happened to me uh, when I was working at 2SM. Remember I got put on Midnight to Dawn? Yeah, my favourite from you was um, you introduced Clarence Clearwater Revival. <laughs> Credence Clearwater Revival. Now you said Clarence. Clarence. Well, Jay, um, my brother, one of your other sons, you might remember. Mm, yeah. He's the ball Jay, one. how's he going? Yeah, he's good. You haven't spoken to him he's, for a while? His head's a bit high he, for his hair. When, when he was on, on radio, he introduced um, Jimmy Buffett as Jimmy Buffet. <laughs> Jimmy Buffet. Well, he was French. <laughs> so when you were on radio all those years ago and you said shit... Your first words, did you think you weren't going to do radio anymore? Did you think Absolutely. You, did you think you'd be doing it 50 years later? Do you know what? There was only one person that heard it, and that was my mother. <laughs> she was in sheer panic. And she rang the station manager to see if I was all right. So she put me in invariably. Mind you, she got me the job. Speaking of mothers listening to you on the radio mm. and the only person listening, when they started digital radio here at, mm. at 2SM. You were on Gorilla. Sydney, I was on Gorilla, and no one was listening to digital radio. DAB stood mm. for dead and buried because no one cared about it. No one listened to the show. No one was promoting it or anything like that. And I was so annoyed. And I said, is anyone fucking listening out there? This is bullshit. If anyone's listening, call up. I'll give you $1,000. No one called. No one called. I said, this is the biggest load of crap. And then the line rang and I thought, oh, no, I'm going to have to give someone some money out of yeah. my own pocket. Yeah. And I answered the phone, Michael, don't swear on radio. Your mother's listening. <laughs> it was your mother. <laughs> yeah, well, my mum, I said I wanted to be on radio because you get to meet lots of girls and all that. And she said, oh, really? Yeah. Anyway, she helped me write the CV. The, the manager at the radio station looked at the CV and had a chat to me. And she, he said, you are one impressive young man. And I'm going to give you a job. I'm going to give you a chance to prove yourself. Oh, and by the way, your mother has nice handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> but what did she write? Well, she basically wrote that I was an entertainer from day one. Um, I was made for show business, made for radio, uh, and talked the leg off a table, and, and I'm made to be a radio announcer. So, so Dawn's sitting there with a mm. little, nice little handwriting. And she's written it all out for me, Man. and I told the manager that I wrote it. Can you remember what she wrote on that CV? She said, quite frankly, I need him out of the house, He's <laughs> <laughs> and I need him to get a job, uh, and... I was only young. I was only 14, 15, and I, I'd only completed year nine, and that was about it. It was really time to get into the workforce. I, I was a bit a bit frail to be doing digging of the, uh, the by the side of the road or raking leaves, mm. which is what one teacher told me uh, upon exit from the school. She, she really pushed me as an entertainer, and they thought, oh, we're going to buy this, we're going to mm. give him a go. Who pushed you to be an entertainer more? Was it Jack, your dad? 
my grandfather or, or Dawn, your mum. Dad said, you want to work in radio with those poofs. That's, that was Dad's word. So Dad wasn't all that supportive of that. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so Mum knew that I... In fact, the English teacher, I remember her name, Miss Sievert, she said to Mum that I was ideally suited to broadcasting. Miss Sievert Ms. said Sievert. you were ideally suited to broadcasting. Yes, you did. I, Why? Because you wouldn't shut up. Yeah. Amazing. So what, what were you good at before radio? Tennis and rugby league, and that was about it. I wasn't much good at cricket. Oh, I was all right, mm. but I never got picked in the team. I was the one on the sideline, and I was 11th drop, and so you invariably never made it onto the field. 11th drop, is that yeah. reserve? 11th go. Yeah. 11th go. Yeah. Is that an old way <laughs> of saying, bat, yeah. saying reserve? <laughs> I was 11th drop. <laughs> I've never heard that before. That's oh, ridiculous. Geez, you haven't been around at all, that, you know? So that was in the old days of Tamworth when you were living in High Street? Yeah, or, or High Street, a... West Tamworth all those years ago. Yeah. Were, were you always in High Street, West Tamworth? or was there No, we lived in... Uh, 44 Robert Street, South Tamworth. Wow, before you, that, you remember that? Yeah, and I went to the Catholic school across the road where the nuns belted me on the hand because I couldn't play the piano properly. Two sisters and a brother. Yeah, Graham, mm. Margaret, and, and Heather. Heather. Yeah, who'd you get along best with? Who was the dobber? Oh, definitely Graham when he got older. He still is. No, <laughs> no, um, no, no one was a dobber. We we stuck together as a bunch of kids. You know, mm. it was it was us against the world and mum and dad. <laughs> and what did you all do for fun? It was those days when the street used to get together. The mayor of Tamworth, I remember his name, Stan Cole, who's a terrific bloke, he taught me work ethic, actually. Mm. He was. He said, come and mow the lawn, come and clean up the lawns. He had sons the same age as me who never lifted a finger, and he said, look at them. He said, you're learning a work ethic. And that's the first time I ever heard that. I was willing to work for the money, yet his own kids weren't. And he used to have his own projector. Because mm. he was the mayor of Tamworth, he was able to lay his hands on the first-run movies. Oh, wow, cool. And we'd watch first-run movies at the back of his house at night on a Friday and Saturday night. And it was great. That's... It was it was the back in the days when everybody had a front door open. You didn't have to worry about getting things stolen off you. Everybody knew each other, and you, you borrowed things from each other and then put it back. How different is that to today when people don't really associate with each other much anymore? They'd rather email or, yeah. or poke each other on Facebook rather than go and knock on the front door. Do we need to get out outdoors more and speak to people and, and, and associate with each other rather than just a text or an email? We've reached the point in uh, our lives now when nobody's game to actually answer the door, let alone want to um, interact with the neighbours and talk to them. Most yeah. people in Sydney, for instance, would not even know who their neighbours are. That's true. Let alone care. And you know what? If you went and introduced yourself to them, they'd say, this guy's a bit weird. Yeah, what, what's he want? <laughs> yeah, I know. Maybe he's got his eye on my wife and all that. Yeah. Okay, so you worked on radio for quite some time. Mm. Uh, started off in Tamworth and then uh, you, you got moved around a little bit. Yeah, I went jobs. to Wagga Wagga. What was that like? I hated it, actually. Why? Well, I lived with a, a German couple. That mum organised, and they were oh, they were so strict, I and I had to be home at six o'clock, and dinner was ready at at six o'clock, and if you weren't here, you're not going to get any, you know. And I wasn't allowed to bring girls home, and all that. Mind you, I was only fifteen, sixteen. But, um, they were so strict, I hated it. And to make it worse, uh, I hated the station manager as well, who oh. gave me a terrible time. Because oh, really? I was so young, he expected me to to be John Laws overnight, and that was never going to happen. Okay, so what did you do to I prove left. yourself or get the hell? You got yeah. fired or you left? Bit of both. Okay, yeah. asked to leave. Yeah, no, no. He you, said maybe you should leave, and I said maybe I should. And and uh, where did you go then? The what airport. You you, you <laughs> went back home to mum no and dad. to the airport. I went and got myself another job. Where where did you? How did you do that? Four NA in Nambour. So did you just ring four NA and say yeah, I need so you, a job? You got any jobs going? <laughs> 
And they said, yes, yeah, as a matter of fact, we just lost somebody. What time can you get here? Uh, and and you, so you flew to 4 a Nambour. Yeah. You're on the radio there for a while and just started Many sending years. out the demos. That was one of the most exciting times of my life. Because, Why? Well, I was in a band there, The Generation of Love. Oh, no. As well as being on the radio. And I was young. There was girls everywhere. I was a surf lifesaver at Alexandra Headlands. And I had the time of my life. It was fantastic. The mm. day I arrived on the train mm. from Brisbane, because I got the plane to Brisbane, and then I got the train up to Nambour, it was about ooh, six o'clock at night when I arrived at the station. And this big, tall, lanky bastard answered the door and said, oh, come on in. You're on the air. I said, what? Um, does the manager know? And he said, I am the manager. We couldn't get anybody else. I've been doing it. So you just got to introduce, I think it was uh, Dad and Dave. Yeah. And this is where he had the secret laugh. Dad and Dave episodes were a giant acetate, bigger than the old 78. Okay. Now, I put it on the edge of the, uh, the, the acetate. Said, now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm 4 and A in Nambour. It's time for Dad and Dave. Pretty proud of myself. Then it started. No, it didn't. It went, went off. I tried it four or five times, and I could see them all out there laughing their tits off, saying, ah, got him, got him. <laughs> it started from the inside out. Oh, no. It was one of those rare that, acetates that started from the inside that's so out. so weird. And the other time he got me, um, do you know I've never sat for a driver's license? No. Yeah. Because one morning, it was uh, Friday, and he said, Sunday, by the way, you're taking the caravan to Alexandra Headlands. I and said, I haven't got a license. He oh, said, no. I'll fix that. So he rang up the local police. The policeman came down, said, oh, what's your name, dress, age, blah, blah. Here's your license. He didn't even license. have to prove he could drive. No. Anyway, so I drove off with the caravan. It was one of those collapsible caravans, Yeah, like a studio. Uh-huh. Went down to Alexandra Headlands, parked it there. Connected the electricity where they told me, the um, the OB line. And I'm, I'm talking to the person back at the studio, ready to go. Wow. The BGs. Anyway, there was a, a lot of people gathering in the surf lifesaving club, as was the manager of the station. And he was smiling at me. And I thought, what's he doing now? Mm. So they've crossed me. It's a super sound show on 4NA live from the uh, beach at Alexandra mm -hmm. Headlands. Yeah. And here we go with the BGs. <laughs> Same thing. Oh, I go. What have I done here now? You did All it right, wrong. we'll try it again. Here's the BGS, <laughs> and went off. You see, I had the caravan facing downwards. Oh no, it was on an angle. And they told me that they forget to tell me on purpose that I had to put stabilizers and fix the stabilizers up so that the caravan was oh, even. Oh no! So any 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 record I put on just slipped off. At oh, the end. it wasn't holding was on. Fun. Tell us about the Love Generation, or what was the name? No, of your the band? Generation of Love. The Nehru jackets. Do you know what a Nehru jacket is? What's a Nehru jacket? Nehru jacket, the Indian jacket, you know? Well, I had a, a, Isn't was, that an Australian island where we send detainees? No, no that's Nauru. Oh. This is a Nehru Indian jacket, okay. right? And it was down past my backside, and, yeah. um, and I had a gold medallion. No. And I had the flared colored pants oh, and high heels and hair everywhere. And what songs? We sang songs like Itchy Park and Happy Together. Really? Imagine me and you. Oh. I do, I think about you day and night. You know that song? And so you had a few groupies, a few fans in Nambour? A few. They must have been, a few. They must have been hot in Nambour. Well, they were, so because there were beach girls there. Is that when you decided to be Groover Grant? That was, was decided for me when I was at uh, 4IP, home of the good guys. 4IP oh, yeah. was Ipswich, and then we moved to um, Wharf Street. In the city. In Brisbane, oh, okay. and that's where it was for quite some time. Okay, so if, what, what was it like being uh, Groover Grant at 4IP, and who, who named you that? And I didn't name myself that. People have said that. Um, 
the uh, manager, Alan Brandt, yeah. came back from uh, Sydney one day and he said, to SM, our counterpart, the home of the good guys in Sydney, they have a guy called Groover Wayne. So from now on, <laughs> from now on, I want you to be called Groover Grant. It wasn't even and he original. Said, no, no. And he said, it sounds better than Groover Wayne. Groover Grant has got the two Gs. Perfect. So I became Groover Grant. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, no. Yeah, we've uh, actually seen a few of the uh, the photos from back then with you, yeah. your long hair and your Back mustache. in the days when DJs, we used to get mobbed. Yeah, well, DJs, you go and do a DJ job somewhere here now and, uh, you know, make an appearance, you know, and they go, oh, that's Grant Goldman. This guy playing the yeah. background yeah. music, yeah. But, but in those days, we used to get mobbed and we'd be introducing someone like uh, Normie Rowe on stage or the Easy Beats and what have you, mm. but we'd get mobbed along with them. What do you mean by mobbed? Like, explain They'd to me. I've, and, I've never been mobbed. Little, little girls ringing, running up and holding onto you nice and tight and kissing you and, and screaming and carrying on because they felt I was part of their growing up, the uh, sort of like the Beatlemania all over again in in the late sixties. So, so you're a part of their their growing up in what way? That you're playing their hits on the radio yeah. because they 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 didn't really have anything as entertaining like we'd have now, like the internet and mm. television and that's right. All that well, kind television of thing. really, television was either aimed at young kids or adults. Mm. There was no in between. There was no in between, right. which is why then uh, along came a TV show called Jukebox Jury, which I compared. Oh, okay. That was before Countdown. Yeah. Oh, that... way before Countdown. Oh, so Jukebox Jury. What was that show? Uh, we had people like, say, Graham Webb. We had, um, I remember Bob Rogers was on at one time. These are all radio stars. Star- yeah, and yeah. a couple of pop stars as well. And we'd play a song that was newly released. And they'd say, hit or miss, in other words. Or we'd say, okay, yeah. guilty or not guilty, in other words. Will it be a hit or will right. it won't? Okay, see? so you were the hit deciders. No, I was the compare of it all. I let them decide. You oh, see. okay. That was, so that was good experience. Explain how that show went. You'd come onto the show, you'd go, hey, I'm- hey, welcome to Jukebox Jury, where we play the hits and you decide whether it's going to be a hit or not. So I'm Groover Grant and here's our guest <laughs> yeah. and here's our first song. What do you yeah. think, guys? Yeah, that's it. Oh, that's funny. I know. So you, you had the, the power of making bands superstars in mm. your hands, but it was just Brisbane. Yeah, it was only Brisbane. So you did a few TV shows in Brisbane. What channel was that? That was Channel 7. And I did a, uh, a show where I was in my pyjamas. And that, that's since been stolen so many times. You get people say, oh, we're comparing the cartoons. Put him in pyjamas. That makes more sense. Mm. Uh, but I did that before. Back in the uh, late 60s. You invented hosting shows in pyjamas. That's right, because it was for the kids. Time to go to bed. So if you're ever remembered for anything, <clears throat> you'll be remembered for the guy that hosted shows in pyjamas. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and of course, uh, ATV Channel O, or I met my good friend David Joel, because he was manager at the time. But David Joel ended up marrying my mum. He ran off with my wife and I miss him. Yeah, he was also my godfather. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. So I'll let you let you read into that as much as as you like. Yeah, terrific, mm. awesome dude. So did you actually end up going to Perth after Four IP, or was it before? After Four IP, and I came back to Four IP. Oh, okay. So was yeah. it like a holiday? Yeah. The other show was like Young Talent Time too, by the way, on Channel O. Oh yeah. yeah. It's now ten, but it was called Channel O then. Mm. It was called It's a Small World. So it was a. Um, was basically a uh, like I was the Johnny Young of Brisbane, if you like. Uh, yeah, <laughs> really. Close your eyes oh, and I'll kiss you. <laughs> Tomorrow I'll miss you. No, I sang Candyman. And um, what's that song? 
The Candyman can. Oh dear. You know that one? Sammy Davis Jr. Oh, right. That okay. was basically my song. Nice. And mm. so so you went <clears> over <throat> to while you're working at 4AP, <clears throat> you went over to Western Australia yeah. to compare the Miss Australian Beach Girl Quest or Miss West Coast. I did that, but I was already there. I went to six KY in Perth. And I was there for six months and during that time I uh, I met Delvine Delaney. Delvine Delaney from I met Delvine Delaney who oh, came over sure. from Brisbane and she was there for the Miss Australian Beach Girl Quest. Yeah. And I was lying on a bed with her and having a chat and all that and next thing your mother walks in. On a bed having a chat with Delvine, Delvine Delaney. Delvine Delaney introduced me to the beautiful Erica. Why were you in bed with her? I wasn't in bed with her, just lying on a bed. We're mates. But so what you're hanging out at her house or No, it was at, at the hotel. At the hotel. Where all the girls were staying. Oh, okay. Like, hey, all right, cool. Yeah. And she introduced me to Erica. I mm. thought, ooh. I ooh. thought, ooh. This is the, Erica's my mum, by the way. Yeah. Hi, mum. Yeah. And, and, and I, I had was, a date. I was overwhelmed with Erica to the point where I had to be with her, ooh. no matter what. Wow. So I stalked her for quite some years. No, for Did, quite some months. Lived in the same building as yeah, each other. That's right. Yeah. So it's pretty easy to stalk someone when they live downstairs or upstairs. Well, I deliberately got the unit upstairs from her so I could. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, you are a stalker. But she loved me enough to marry me and uh, we stayed together for 10, 11 years and had a great time. Had Fantastic. two kids. Two kids. Jay. Two good kids. Jay and you. And Michael. Yeah. And well done on that. Congratulations. They're, they're awesome kids. And In fact, it was her urging because she knew the management of 6PR and knew Gary Meadows and a few people that uh, worked there. Mm. And they were the good guy station as well. So I, I, oh. I, I've actually worked at three good guy stations. They're part of the network. Yeah. Okay, so Groover Grant, you've... Uh, but I've dropped Groover, Groover Grant by oh, then. I just became... It. Grant Goldman. Uh, and was that a hard decision to make? It was. It was. Well, I had to say goodbye to Groover Grant. I felt like I felt like I was saying goodbye to my youth. Yeah. It was really sad because I'm thinking, wait a minute, I like Groover Grant. People people used to yell out, hey, Groover! So you've left 4IP. Let's fast forward things a little mm-hmm. bit. You went to host the first breakfast radio show on the first FM station in Sydney. That was Today FM, yes. Yeah. yeah. One of the first. They were there before me. I was at um, 2WS at the time. I've fast-forwarded through a lot of your radio career, mm-hmm. obviously, from 4IB, because you worked at a lot of other radio stations. Yeah. But we could be here forever. Mm. It was 50 years long. We've waffled on about radio forever. So let's move on to the TV. Countdown! Countdown! The first colour TV show in Australian TV history. It was a pretty exciting time. For many years, um, it was never reported anywhere that I was the first compare of Countdown. So I thought, I'm going to... Uh, it didn't get to me. And I thought, oh, let's tell the truth about who was the first because it was a bit of history in the making. It was actually the first colour transmission around Australia. I thought, well, I'm going to make a few phone calls. The ABC have a plaque in uh, ABC, I think it's Q somewhere in Victoria, mm-hmm. in Melbourne, where it stated that I was the first and the first colour transmission. And I, I got a few people on side and they checked and they said, yeah, you were. And so publications now do mention me. It was great. And to the point where they made the movie about Molly, they actually mentioned me and had an old guy playing me. That, that actually happened um, partly because of me because I was hanging out with John Malloy, one of the writers, Mick, yeah. Mick Malloy's brother. Mm. And uh, he told me, this is like about 10 years ago, that he was putting together this little miniseries or might have even been a movie. And I uh, said, oh, you know, my dad hosted the first episode in colour. And he goes, no, it wasn't. It was, was Molly or yeah. jo- it was John Farnham. The people used to argue with me. Yeah. Say, no, you weren't. Uh, they did. Yeah. And, and uh, so he did some checking up. And he forgot that I told him. 
Yeah. And years later, they actually brought out the Molly TV series on Channel 7 and they had an actor playing you when they could yeah. have used me because I'm an actor. And I, I rang up John Malloy and said, mate, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, mate, I completely forgot that it was your dad. Sorry, I, so, I should have used you. I'm kicking myself. And I said, well, this is new series called Hoags that's coming up. Yeah. And you've got the same director mm-hmm. doing that. Make sure you get me an audition. That's why I got a little part on Hoags. So that's thank right. you. So that's how it happened. Yeah. yeah. So that was, that was pretty uh, exciting for you to be able to host the first colour TV show in Australian TV history. It talk, was. Talk us through that. What was it like? Who was on the show? And Molly Meldrum was directing or something? Molly Meldrum was director, yeah. He didn't actually go on the first show at all. But he was directing. And he was one of the people that hired me along with... Um, Michael Weeks and uh, Michael Shrimpton and um, Paul Weeks, I can't remember. Yeah, they hired me and uh, Molly Meldrum backed it as well. He said, that's the ideal one. Anyway, we went on and uh, because not people, no people had any idea about colour television, I had a striped shirt on. Mm. So for the whole broadcast, it looked like I was moving. Oh, but, okay, uh, that, was their, that was their first technical um, <laughs> a glitch. A glitch. You're a technical glitch. In colour television, yeah. Who was on the show? John English. And he still remembers to this day... Uh, not not anymore because he's passed away, unfortunately. He remembers being on it with me, as does Sherbet, Sherbet Ronnett. I actually presented them a gold record. Dale Braithwaite. Was Dale Braithwaite was on there. Sherbet. Uh, Skyhooks were on there. Do you remember Skyhooks? Yeah, Shirley Strong. John Farnham. John Farnham was the first song, which is why a lot of people thought he was the first compare. Yeah, okay. He was actually the first song. But he said something at the start of his song. He goes, G'day, I'm Johnny Farnham. No, he didn't. He didn't. He just no, he sang. Didn't. Sang the song. Okay. Yeah. Wow. All those years ago. Must have been fun. So tell us about the after party. The after party. Well, um, was there one? Oh, yes. Oh, come on, man. This is a podcast, party. okay? You can say whatever the fuck you want here. Why? It does not matter. It's not broadcast. We're not held by any laws or regulations. I want to know what went on behind the scenes at the countdown after party with all those bands. It was actually at a pub down the road first from the ABC at Q. And um, it started off, well, we're partying on and we, after we all watched the show on replay. I had to hire a colour TV to watch it. <laughs> and I watched it with Bill Gates. Bill Gates? Who's he? No, not Bill Gates, the, um, the computer man. Guy. Bill Gates is a, uh, was a radio announcer. He was the boss of 3UZ in Melbourne where I worked. So he came and watched it with me. And then we went to the hotel and kicked on. And I was on 3UZ breakfast at the time. And I made it to the breakfast program at 5 o'clock by about one minute. <laughs> So you went out all night. And your father was sozzled. After countdown and you were drunk and you hosted the breakfast show on 3 I also had no shirt. No shirt on. There was a reason for that. And I've never told anyone because I threw up on myself. (laughs) And and I thought surely somebody would leave a shirt at 3UZ. Couldn't find a shirt anywhere. So I did the... uh, Breakfast program on Three Years at Melbourne, shirtless. With moment on yourself. Which is a bit awful those days because we had a manager who was he dressed up so much, so well, Lewis Bennett. He wore a bow tie. Well, what were you drinking the night before? Vodka Beer? and orange. Vod- is that, was that your no, drink of choice back no, then? No, it wasn't, but I didn't like it. Uh, that's why I hate vodka now. Is that why you don't drink I've it? I've hated vodka all my life since then. So the reason why you hate vodka is because of the countdown after party. That's right. Where you went out all night yeah. and you showed up yeah. shirtless with vomit on yourself to host yeah. a breakfast show. And it's not as that's, if there was a that's lot... That's the dad I know. That, it's not as if there was a lot of beautiful women there. There were some... 
but most of them who worked on the show, uh, there was a lot of gay people, I know that, so I had a very big introduction to gay people. And they like drinking songs and they like drinking competitions. That's awesome. Okay, so from uh, 3UZ, you, you went in, we mentioned Today FM, and then you went to... Uh, 2GB. 2GB. Yeah, they changed the format from talkback radio to a thing called Mellow Rock, which is the greatest load of Scheisenhausen that I've ever, ever been involved with. <laughs> they thought they could get rid of talkback radio and immediately get the audience across to listen to uh, younger popular music. Didn't work. Nah. And they got caught out. I got saved mm. by uh, an old technician, believe it or not, who was a PMG linesman with my father in, in Baraba. Yeah. And he said to me, I don't like you too much, but I wanted to tell you this on behalf of your father because I liked him. You blokes are all getting sacked within a week. I thought, oh, geez, that sounds ominous. So he gave you the heads up. <clears throat> so I got a job at 5AD in Adelaide. And he was quite right because uh, the day after I left, they all got sacked. Most of them had to go and work in Townsville because, and I'll say this, there was a misdirection from the people who wanted to start this new format to the management of 2GB. They led the management of 2GB to believe, and it was probably their fault, that Mellow Rock was the Seekers and Rolf Harrison, etc. you know, the middle-of-the-road pop, but it wasn't. We were playing Little River Band, Little Feet. And there was another story about Little Feet too, smoking marijuana in the studios of 2GB. And they found out about that as well. So maybe that was the beginning of the end as well. Did you ever have any any pop stars come in that that you interviewed that were drunk or stoned or smoking weed on air? Most of them have been fantastic. The biggest biggest dick I ever interviewed was a bloke called Cat Stevens. Yeah. Who threw the tape recorder in the pool. He didn't like my line of questioning. Really? What'd you and ask I, him? I can't remember because he was talking about religion and I said, what's that got to do with your uh, music? And suddenly the the the, uh, the recorder was in the pool oh, at no. the Siebel Townhouse. He, he picked up your tape recorder and threw it <clears> into <throat> the pool. <clears throat> yep. What a dick. And he's back again. Back again, uh, As Yusuf Islam, of course, which says a lot about him, but I won't go into that. Oh, no, we don't want to get oh, all... Oh, no, politically correct. Islam's a religion of peace. That's right. <laughs> so just as they're stabbing someone, they say it every time. Okay, uh, if you're a Muslim and you've just turned off now, we understand <laughs> why. Okay, so tell me, who was your best interview over the years? Funny enough, you probably haven't heard of them, but uh, the Pointer Sisters. I love the Pointer Sisters. The Neutron Dance, that was yeah. the soundtrack from Beverly Hills Cop. Mm-hmm. And uh, slow hand, I want a man with a slow hand. I want a lover yeah. with a slow That's hand. Right, yeah. So why, uh, why were they the best interview? Did you get to sleep with them all? No. Oh, close. When I arrived in Los Angeles, I was sent there by 2UE to do a whole stack of interviews. Uh, artists like Roger Vadouris, uh, the Doobie Brothers, Linda Ronstadt. But I'll never forget the Pointer Sisters because there's three of them and they were the greatest hoot of all time. Really? And it was in their bedroom, the three of them, and they thought, let's do the interview in bed. Because that was the big thing with John Lennon, because that's what he did. Yeah, and a few others. So yeah, Pointer yeah. Sisters will do it as well. And we were cuddling up and having a good old time and talking about the music and where they were from and all that. And at the end of it, one of them said to me, Bonnie Pointer, I remember her name. She said, you know, dude, for a white guy, you're pretty average. <laughs> <laughs> and now it was a great time. And we went out on the town and we went to see uh, the Doobie Brothers. You went out with them? Yeah. They took you out? In Los Angeles, you we went, went out on the town with the, the Pointer one, Sisters. The one big nightclub in um, in Los Angeles, I can't even remember the name of it. The Doobie Brothers were playing, mm-hmm. and they introduced this beautiful, chubby little girl called Linda Ronstadt to sing with them. And that was a great night, and we partied on, and then I never saw them after that. They didn't keep contact. Mm. Why don't you Facebook friend them now? 
Yeah, I could do. Remember me? They wouldn't remember. I've introduced many artists on stage too, which is always a buzz, you know, uh, from the Pointer Sisters, Paul McCartney, you name it, uh, Bruce Springsteen, the whole lot of them. Who was the best one you introed? Slade. Slade, why? Did you hang out backstage with them after? Because they told me, they said, you better come out there full on. Yeah. You better come out there screaming at that audience. You better get them hepped up so we're ready. Oh, wow. And I did. I went nuts. Oh, wow. And people cool. used to say, what was wrong with you? Were you on something? <laughs> screaming your head off. Yeah. And they came out and did Goodbye to Jane, I remember. Years and years later, you're here at 2SM mm. in Sydney. Yeah. You've been the ground announcer for the Manly Sea Eagles mm. for 30 years. That 34. Might, that, that must have been a trip. Yeah, it was. And I've seen a lot of success there. I've seen, um, well, in my lifetime, I've seen eight premierships, but I was there for six. Yeah. What was yeah. it like to be a part of the Manly Sea Eagles football club? It was good. I mean, I, I loved the players. I loved the culture of the club that we only wanted success. Because the club has been so successful, mm. any failures are not tolerated. You yeah. Know? You can't have a team that's not winning, particularly mm. when they have been winning a lot. So you've been called the loudest ground announcer in no. Australia. Why is that? Well, a lot of crap. All it is was that we only had one speaker mm. at Brookvale Oval. Or it's called Lotto Land now. Apparently, one of the bosses of Foxtel, Brian mm. Walsh, came and told you to turn it down one day. What happened there? He told me to turn Eagle Rock off, so I told him to piss off, which is why I've never got a job at Foxtel, probably. That's probably why I've never got a yeah. job at Foxtel oh, well, bad luck. either. And I said, no, seriously, the TV stations that have the rights for the broadcast, do you know they actually own the ground on that day? They own the whole event. Mm. So what they say goes, and I wouldn't turn off Eagle Rock because I'm there for the crowd. I'm not even there for the management of the Sea Eagles. I'm there for the crowd. Yeah, exactly. And I think they appreciated that too. Yeah, oh, they did. Hey, it, mm. it pushed them to winning all those premierships and, yeah. and it, it made it so much more fun mm -hmm. whenever you were on the mic there. I don't know whatever guy's doing it now, but he's got a hard act to follow, that's for sure. So one of the other things that you did, <clears> speaking <throat> of ground announcing, was the Sydney 2000 Olympics. Yep. You were the ground announcer, or the stadium announcer, should I say there. And what would have been your greatest moment there at the stadium being the announcer. Sitting next to Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton? He came in to say hello with Chelsea. And he sat there for a while and uh, he came there every other day, which is why I never took my wife there because Bill Clinton was there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was good. No, the highlight was definitely Kathy Freeman. Yeah. Kathy Freeman winning the 400 and me being able to call that. Coming down the straight, I was just so excited over the top. Goosebumps were all over me. And then I got to do all the, as you know, I got to do all the... Um, the medal ceremonies, every single one of them for the whole duration of the Olympics. Wow. So to be able to stand up there and say, ladies and gentlemen, the gold medal for the 400 metres, Australia's Cathy Freeman. What did that feel like when you were making that announcement? It was a magic moment. Did you have goosebumps? Unbelievable magic moment. And then, of course, doing the um, the Paralympics with you. Yeah, I got to do the Paralympic mm. Games, Yeah, which was huge fun. Mm. That was really cool. And, and then from that, with Greg Bowman, who was doing the presentation of the Olympics and the Commonwealth Games and the, uh, the Goodwill Games. Yeah. And, uh, and now I'm working with him at the basketball. And that's the other thing you failed to mention. I was the announcer for the Sydney Kings way before you. I've actually won premierships with them. What did you do? I haven't got to the Sydney Kings yet, all right? Oh, okay, all right. I've only just started working for them. Okay, it was getting to that. I love basketball. Yeah. And I've, I've been so lucky to be able to get involved with the Sydney Kings, but it's been my first time. So you're actually, making my, this my interview about time. you now, aren't you? It's, it's been my second time mm. being the uh, the courtside announcer for yeah. a basketball team because I, I did another team up in, in Queensland for years for the women's basketball. So you did the whole team? No, well, that's not what I meant. <laughs> oh, okay. But, uh, that was, that's what you were it's, thinking. It's, yes. <laughs> it, it's great fun, though, working at the basketball. What was it like all those years ago when Mike Robleski was running the team? I love that bloke. He's since gone to God. But um, 
Mike Robleski was the kind of person who loved to stir up an audience, and I thought, geez, I'm your man then, because that's what I like doing. Yeah. There are a lot of people in sport that would rather you didn't. There's one particular bloke at the Manly Seagulls, I won't mention him, but he, he reckons I should have said not much at all, just the score. Who's that dickhead? No, nah, don't worry. <laughs> he, he's gone anyway. Oh, there's there's a, seriously a few tools that run the Manly Seagulls football club. No which... one. The best thing that ever happened to Manly, by the way, I'll say this right now, was Max Delmege. Yeah. Ken Arthurson will say this. Mm. When Manly were about to fold, and he said it, we were weeks away from folding because we had no money, no future, nothing was happening. Mm. So they're going to fold. And then Max Delmege came in with $14 million. Wow. And they treat him like crap. That's and ridiculous. they treat him like crap. Like he saved he, the they, team. They're trying to forget the history that without Max Delmos putting that money in for the Manly Seagulls, they would not exist today. Maxie, you're a legend. We love you. I love him too. Yeah. So, He's trying to have a baby at the moment. People used to say, oh, I'm having a baby at my age at 59 when I had it. Max is a lot older than that. But good on him. Go for it, Max. Speaking of babies, mm. um, Alexandria, mm. my sister, your daughter, She's seven years old, about to turn eight. Isn't it hilarious when I introduce her to people, they say, oh, this is your daughter. Oh. I said, yeah, yeah, she's got a 46-year-old brother. <laughs> it's, it definitely spins people out. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? So, yeah, I love it. That's what, good. What was that like, having a daughter at such an, in such an older age? Did you think you were going to have any more kids? No, I didn't. It was a lovely surprise, and, and, and it became a, yeah, a sad surprise for a long time because she was born prematurely at 24 weeks. 590 grams, there wasn't much of her. And we were in hospital for, gee, well, six, seven months with her. I know, I remember coming in to see you and Manel at hospital a lot, mm. and just the looks on your faces, like you didn't know which way it was going to go. That's right, it was just... a look of despair, and the despair came from uh, the hospital as well. There was one particular doctor who said, oh, let her go, she's no, too small. She's let her small. go. Let her go. That were, that were his words, let her go. And I said... Yeah, what uh, do you do? I said, well, we'll fight. We'll take the oxygen for a while and see how it goes. She's turned out to be the most perfect little girl you could ever imagine. But it was a long way to get there. Mm. Like, what did she go yeah. through to become the perfect little girl? She had a lot of operations, didn't she? Well, there's one operation where she had a, uh, a, a, a burst bowel. So she had to get that fixed, and that was life or death. Mm. Um, but that was a, a very successful operation. Mm. And from there, she had... Um, she had a stent put near her heart, which is still there to this day. You wouldn't know it. And she also had an operation where she would have gone blind if she didn't have this operation. Uh, the bloodstream to the ends of the pupils had to, had to be furrowed out with laser zaps. And she had 2,000 laser zaps in each eye. Could you imagine this? A little girl, not much bigger than a, uh, a tub of butter, and they're operating on her like that. And it on took, her eyes. And it took three hours for this unbelievable surgeon. That's incredible technology, mm. isn't it? Isn't that the same thing that Stevie Wonder had that set him blind? Yeah, Stevie have the technology? Wonder. And it, what's interesting about Stevie Wonder, too, is that uh, he, he's been told in recent years, look, we can put this operation on you that happened to my daughter. Mm. And he said, oh, it's too late. I don't want it. He didn't want to he, see. He didn't want to see. Wouldn't that be crazy if Stevie yeah. Wonder actually had eyes? Yeah. Okay, from Alexandria, the youngest, mm. to the oldest. Troy, you only found out that you have a son in Perth about 10 years, 10 ago. years ago. Yeah, I tracked him down, found him. And no, no, he tracked me down first. No, Yeah, but I was the first one to go and find him in Perth and, you did, and yeah. meet him yeah. and then introduce him to you. Yeah. He's a terrific it? bloke too. He's a bikey. Oh, we're great friends. Yeah. I, I went to see him last weekend. What was that like meeting a son for the first time? I've got to who say, was 40? I was very nervous because I, I was wondering, I mean, 
is it in his mind uh, that perhaps I abandoned him? Or is it in his mind that, um, oh, this is the dickhead that actually left me behind and, and uh, didn't want me? Uh, but it didn't turn out to be that way. He's had a pretty good life. and He had a great been, family around yeah, him. He was and adopted. he's been successful in business. I mean, yeah. um, the girl that I was with... Um, she, she was a great girl, but um, we weren't meant to be together, so we decided to adopt the baby out. Mm. And that's what happened with Troy. And as I said, he's had a great life, successful businessman. and he's He had become... a better upbringing than me. Stable yeah. parents that were always there. No, that's true. And um, I've got to say, the, the times I've spent with him has been fantastic. Yeah. He's a great person. He's great a, person. He's awesome. Mm. Moving right along in your career and, mm. and your life, you've been very successful. You've had so much fun. Beautiful daughters and sons, so many great achievements, 50 years in radio, and then all of a sudden you get punched in the face with some cancer. Yeah, how about that? And I've, I've led a pretty sedentary life too. Uh, I, as you know, I'm a non-smoker, never touched drugs in my life, not even a marijuana cigarette, mm. even though off, you get offered it in this business quite a lot. Um, non-drinker, and I certainly do drink, but not, not to the extent that most people do. And then I'll go and get cancer. How unfair is that? Very unfair. Mm. And so you got bowel cancer. Yeah. And what was that like being told? Did you, because I mean, I know you like to not sweat the small stuff and don't worry about things. But that, that's the big stuff. That, but it is, it is big yeah. stuff. And you like to, even when it is a big thing, you, you like to put it behind you and try and just deal with it and move on. Yeah. Could you do that? The interesting thing with cancer, um, well, I remained positive. I said, well, I'm still here. Um, yeah. And I had high hopes that things would be okay. And uh, they, they have been for quite some time because this was 2011. Yeah. 2011, uh, to be told you have bowel cancer, it hits you like, a, like mm-hmm. a, a brick wall. You run into a brick wall saying, oh, God, where am I going to now? But then you start saying, I, I remember the doctor saying, don't worry, we'll get the operation. We do this every day. Those were the words I liked. Yeah. We do this every day. You so, focus on the positive. Yeah, yeah. And the positive was that they'd get it out, which they did. Unfortunately, uh, a year later, I got a secondaries on the uh, liver, uh, which they cut out. It metastasized that nice to the early. liver. Yeah. You like saying that word. Anyway, I got the, and then I got the secondaries on the lung, which they cut off. Mm. And then I was cancer-free for, gee, what, three years or so. And all of a sudden, because I got regularly tested, which you should always do yeah. if you get cancer, mm-hmm. and it showed up in the uh, chest cavity, and then we found that it had gone into the lung. Well, that's, you know, that's, um, that's terminal stuff. In, into the lung or into was it the on, lung. on the outside? No, no, the into the lung. Oh. So once you're inside the lung, uh, it's very hard to uh, defeat it. Yeah. You'd be very lucky if it cleared up. Um, didn't you tell me one day you think you coughed it up? I did. <laughs> you coughed it out. Parts of it, yes. Wow. Uh, because it was growing up into the top of my lung. Yeah. And I thought that something was bothering me. I coughed yeah. it up uh, twice. And so w- when, Great, you, when you coughed it out? The, the size of a large marble. Did you get the uh, what you coughed up checked? Did you get it analyzed? Now, here's the funny part. Uh, this is my life all over. I've puked it out on the back veranda. And I thought, I better go and get that. So I went inside and got a cup. Came back and I saw a magpie. No, it wasn't a magpie. It was a... Um, Crow. No, the white thing. What is it? The... Um, a cockatoo. A cockatoo. cockatoo came cockatoo. down. A cockatoo came, swooped down and grabbed my cancer and flew off with it. And I thought that was the end of it. But um, I coughed up another one. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If you think about it, that's the circle of life, isn't it? It's the circle of life. <laughs> and that's how cockatoos got cancer. Yeah. I coughed up another one, believe it or not. And I took it to the um, oncologist and he said, oh, put that away. That's the cancer. Throw it away. He knew it was. Yeah, knew straight away. Yeah. You coughed out mm. the cancer. Yeah. Wow. And I said, 
being ever hopeful. I got all of it, did I? <laughs> Sid, That's hilarious. You're a funny boy. You're a funny boy. So it's still in there? Still in there, deciding what to do with my body. It's a bit like, you know, when you've been told you're terminal, and then he says yesterday, for instance, you're looking fantastic, all your bloods are good, heart's good, everything's fantastic. I can't believe it because I thought the cancer was about to take off. But there you have it, and you're looking all right. It's not going anywhere for the moment. So let's do nothing. Mm. That's what I've done. Nothing. Enjoy but yourself. It's sort of like when you know that you've got a, a terminal patient, knowing that you've done something wrong and you're waiting for the police to knock at the door. Mm. You think, okay, well, when is my time up? We're all terminal it? patients in a way, aren't we? Yeah, that's true. No one's here forever. Yeah. Nothing uh, more certain in, in uh, life is taxes and death. Yeah. I think you've got to laugh about it. I had a great lesson when I was being treated with radiation and uh, chemotherapy at the same time at the SAN, which is a license to print money, by the way. I got bills from doctors that I never even met, but that's another story. <laughs> and geez, did they pile up. I even got a reminder notice from one doctor while I was still in the hospital. So he must have wanted to buy a new block of units or something. <laughs> so, what a bastard. Yeah. I it, hate doctors. It's amazing. Can't stand him. But you know what? You mm. can't go past modern medicine. As far as modern medicine is concerned, and you can um, combine it with a, a natural process, good water. I've been on this fat diet, which I think has changed a lot of things about me. The Warburg diet. The fat diet, Warburg diet, but it, it deletes sugar from your uh, from your diet. And you stop taking sugar as well. Yeah, you stop eating sugar. That's the thing. Um, coffee's fine without sugar, believe it or not. And you don't need sugar in anything. I really still can't like the sugarless chocolate, even though I'm eating it, the, the really? sugarless dark chocolate. Seriously. I mean, I might as well not. Yeah, don't bother. <laughs> no. So what's the plan now? Just enjoy yourself? Well, laugh about it. And as I said, um, nobody likes my planning at the moment. Look, you got a plan for your funeral, and I want to do my own eulogy. Really? Put me up on the big screen, because my son Lucas, he works with a big screen. He can film me, do the eulogy now. And I can say, uh, I, I, if it's placed right, the screen, I'm the on screen, I would say, welcome to my funeral. Hope you have a lovely time today. Uh, that's me over there. And... And, and point to the casket and all that and talk about my life a bit and say hello to everybody and then a final goodbye. Why can't I do that? You can. I e everyone do. should do it. Yeah, do your own eulogy. Have it on standby. Maybe yeah. it's like a website you can mm. start up. Do yeah. your own eulogy.com. Yeah, Grant Goldman is a good person because I said I was. Well, hopefully we're a long way off that. Yeah. And oh, look, that's, that's what I, I... I think the power of positive thinking is very yeah. important. I met uh, three kids. They were 11, 13 and 14. All of them had brain cancer during the time at the uh, Sand Hospital, or the Sand Bank, as I call it. Um, mm. And they've all since died. And I yeah. thought, well, wait a minute. Here I am, 67 years of age. I've had a hell of a life. I've achieved a lot. I've done all the things I wanted to do. Got married three times. Had a bunch of kids and the, the time of my life doing the job that I love all my career. So I've done all right. Those boys will never get married. They'll never drive a car. They'll never get to vote. They'll never travel overseas. Their life was finished way too early. So that was my message. And it's a pretty clear message. At least I had a great life and a long one. And you're still having one. Yeah. And you're still doing the right things to keep yourself firmly planted on the earth. That's right. And, and you're looking at a few new treatments as well, which is, which is mm -hmm. good. And, and what would you say to anyone out there that would be in the same position as you and they've, they've recently found out that they might have cancer, they might even have terminal cancer, mm. what, what would you say to help them figure out the best road to travel on during their cancer journey? Well, the power of positive thinking is something they've always had. 
if you've got cancer, tell yourself that you're going to be here for a long time. Tell yourself that whilst it might not be cured and you're called terminal, just fight it. Just say, well, I've got a lot to do. I, I want to be here on this planet as long as possible. Cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> That's good advice. Yeah. In other words, just keep fighting on. A lot of people say, oh, I better retire. I better sit in the corner and watch TV. I know blokes that have done that and mm. they've died pretty quickly. Yeah, I remember David Joel, someone we were talking about a lot earlier. Mm. He had lung cancer, but he used to smoke Winnie Reds like yeah, all so the time. What? So what? But he kills, still could afford it. He uh, didn't really do anything. I think he was quite depressed when mm. he just it took him quite quickly. I think a lot of people have advice for you out there. Mm. You must have a lot, especially having a talkback radio show. You must have a lot of people ringing up, a lot of family, a lot of friends saying, you got to do this, you got to do that. How do you decipher what's right and what's wrong? The funniest one is uh, the people that ring, because I broadcast to Byron Bay, the people that ring up and say, marijuana, that's your answer. It cures cancer. Yeah, but it's not marijuana. No, no, they're saying smoke marijuana. Just smoke it. <laughs> smoke marijuana. You'll be fine. <laughs> the thing is, you won't know you're dying. <laughs> you just go off in a haze of smoke. Goodbye, there goes Grant. Can't see him anymore. But what, what do you think is the best treatment? Positivity, which mm. you said. Marijuana is probably, you know, not a, not a great idea. But there is a cannabis oil, which a lot of people swear by. Well, the cannabis oil is good for uh, treatment of pain. It's unbelievable. And if I get to the point where there's going to be a lot of pain, well, I'll be taking the cannabis oil. Thank you very much. Legal or not, I don't care. I'll buy you the bong. Okay. No, that's, that's where people get the wrong idea. It's <laughs> not a bong, it's oil. I know. You can't put... Oil in a bong, apparently. Um, I won't give you the massage. I'll mm. leave that to Manel. Right, yeah. And how's she handling it and the rest of the family? Uh, i got to say, not very well. And if you think about it, she's had a rough time since she met me. Yeah. Uh, I gave her a premature baby. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, a year later, after everything started going okay, uh, I had to tell her I got cancer. Yeah. Then I had a secondary. Then I had another secondary. And now, of course, terminal. Where does that leave her as a mother? What's she going to do with a young child? Uh, a lot of things would be going through your mind. And that's one thing I've noticed, that when someone gets cancer, it's the whole family that gets mm. cancer. That includes you, too. I mean, everybody in the family is concerned for their dad or, yeah. or their husband or, or brother. Your son's losing a dad. Yeah. Your wife's losing a husband. Mm. But I've got a few people to annoy yet, so I'm going to be here for a long time yet. Well, you look better than mm. you did like three, two years, two two years ago. Years ago. I agree. I agree. A year and a half ago. You look better now. Now, it wasn't just the oncologist that said that yesterday when I visited. It was all the nurses said, wow, I haven't seen you look this good. Mm. That's encouraging in itself. Yeah. So we're doing some fundraisers. Mm. Uh, I decided to start it probably about six months ago now. Yeah. Because a few of the therapies and treatments that we'd looked into were quite expensive. Mm. Uh, and they still are. Yeah, mm. and they still are. Yeah. And you've blown a lot of your cash, obviously, on uh, Alexandria, everything you went through with her, mm. and five years of chemo and radiation and everything. So That drains the finances. And by the way, yeah. uh, people say, oh, you're this famous radio announcer, you, you must be well paid. Surely, well, yeah, I am. But when you're not well, you can't do the peripheries, and that is the compare work. Uh, working yeah. at Manly, no longer. Mm. I don't work at Sky Channel anymore um, because I can't keep up with it. Mm. So all that peripheral money that, that helps you uh, have a good life yeah, has all of a sudden that. disappeared. Anyway, we decided to do this little fundraiser, and it's mm. also a way to celebrate you and your life and what you're all about in to helping me, that's yourself the best get part. cured is positivity mm. and, and, and seeing how many people... Uh, are happy about you being alive and, and mm. love you and think you're an awesome dude because you are an awesome guy, yeah. by the way. You know, you, you're so much fun. 
And it's something that I've always gotten out of you is, is your positivity and yeah. being able to soldier on with work or whatever I'm doing, whenever I'm down, eh, mm. don't worry about it, move on. Or, or you'd even get angry with me if I got mm-hmm. depressed or upset about something, which is great. And, and for people to celebrate you and, and the way you are as a person, I think, is, is a great reason to have a, a fundraiser and a party. And mm. all these country music artists are coming out of the woodwork and they're going to be performing and we're auctioning off like guitars from uh, Lee Kernigan. Kevin Bloody Wilson. Kevin Bloody Wilson. Even, said, yeah. What, he sent something as well? Yeah. Oh, that's great. So his guitar says, fuck it. <laughs> uh, that's this Saturday <laughs> no, no, no. night. That's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah. So uh, looking forward to that. So there's, there's still a, a lot of life left in the old ticket yeah. yet. One thing I will say, um, I'm very embarrassed by it, by the way. Mm. Um, and I didn't like the idea at first, but I love the idea that so many people cared. You know, on the other side of the coin, I want to send a message to those people who, uh, and I've spoken to other people who, who have cancer, and they say it happens on a regular basis. Some people tend to avoid you because they don't know what to say. People that you've known all your life suddenly disappear out of it because they just feel uncomfortable about the whole cancer idea. So if you're one of those people who feels uncomfortable and, and, and rather not talk to me or your friend that has cancer, change your mind about that because they need you as a friend more than ever before. I hate to end it on a cancer note, so maybe we should talk about something else before we finish the podcast. I tell you what, the one thing is, um, I'm very happy about is that uh, over the last 10 years, I've rediscovered country music. As you know, I was brought up with country music coming from Tamworth. You're uh, tarred with that brush. We've we've had Slim Dusty at our backyard barbecues. We've had um, all these famous people that mum used to bring home that were country singers, and we'd have them at barbecues at home. I went to 2TM and I met a bloke called John Minson. And now John Minson, and he's just gone to God in the last month, as a matter of fact, Mm. sadly. Uh, He was the man responsible for setting up the Country Music Festival in Tamworth. Without him, that would never have happened. And he introduced me to Buck Owens and the Buckaroos. Oh, hello. My love of country music has continued to the point where I play a lot of it on the uh, Super Radio Network on my breakfast program. You've won awards for your country music work. International and local. People all over the world are celebrating your radio show that goes to like 57 stations Mm -hmm. or something like that on the Super Radio Network, playing all sorts of country music stuff. Mm. You've discovered people like Delta Goodrum, even though she's not a country music star. You were the first person to play her on radio. I was also the first person to notice she had talent because she was in the Warringah Mall talent quest all those years ago. I think she was only about 11 or 12. Adam Brand. Adam Brand. The, before he was famous, you were playing him on the radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amber Lawrence. You you, were, you discovered Amber Lawrence and she won golden guitars. And I love the fact that Amber Lawrence was famous as she is now. She yeah. still says on stage that uh, without me, she possibly would be back working at the bank. That's great. And she goes a little bit further than that. She talks about her story, like working at the bank and how hard it was and, you know, knowing that she loved playing music and wanted to do it. And there's one man Mm. who found her her CD and a pile of CDs on his desk and thought, oh, who is this girl? Oh, she's all right. Let's get Mm. her in. Mm. The next thing you know, you're telling her on air that she has to follow her career path as a country music singer because she's good at it. And she did, and she's great. Ended up winning a golden guitar. Doing great shows everywhere and she performed for a, a fundraiser that we had at the Rudy mm. Hill RSL Club yeah. a few weeks ago and she was brilliant if you get the chance to see Amber Lawrence live she's amazing and buy a new album as well too which mm. is really good. And I'm good friends with uh, people like George Sitch 
who's written all the jingles for me, hundreds and Georgie. hundreds. Georgie! I got more jingles on this radio <laughs> station than all the stations in Sydney put together. And Joanna Hamara, of course, who is Australia's number one yodeler. In fact, she will always be Australia's number one yodeler because whenever they have a competition, they say, is Joanna in it? Well, I'm not coming. So she <laughs> keeps winning it every year. Okay, let's finish off the Grant Goldman on the mic podcast with a big yodel from the G-man himself. Hit it, Grant. I'm tired of crying, I'm tired of lonesome, I'm tired of doing this, I want to go home. You're going home. (laughs) Thank you, Grant Goldman. Thank you, Dad. You're an inspiration not just to me, but to millions. Thank you, Mike, and I'm very proud of you. I won't say what for. And you're not having the last word. Ever. Now. (laughs) Shut up. Bye. Got my head on my pillow, my toes in my bed. The sound of the freight train rumbling in my head. It's the gold man. Gold man. The alarm clock is ringing. Hell, is that the time? Get my ass in the shower real quick. Getting up in the dark to beat the morning rushes. Crazy, but I can't call in sick. Get my head on my pillow, my ass in the sack. I'm out that door and there's no turning back. Life is good today. You've been listening to On The Mic with Mike Goldman. Subscribe, download and review at iTunes, Audioboom, Stitcher or your favourite podcasting app. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.